Good evening, folks. Thanks for joining in. Um, I just, I'm, I've decided I'm going to read a few uh, of my old blog posts tonight. I've been meaning to do this for a couple nights, so this is not going to be a super long uh, conversation. But uh, there are a couple of posts about sort of systems of poverty management that I'd like to go over. Um, and if you haven't checked out my blog today, I have we started a new uh, series. Uh, it's called Letters from Around the Labyrinth, and um, I've been talking to a few people in different places about. Um, just sort of writing out an informal letter uh, using sort of the lens that we're, we've been using around like Web3 and impact finance and, and looking where you are. Um, and so Maria, uh, who is a friend in Mexico, she uh, wrote a letter and shared some information about the curriculum in a middle school that was promoting um, the sustainable development goals around poverty. And, uh, you know, it was very welcome. She, she did a really nice job. So check it out on the blog. And thank you, Maria, for participating in this way. And I think we have a few other people who are interested in doing something similar. So it's not quite as intimidating as a, a long blog post, um, but something more informal um, and I think participatory. So uh, so thanks for that. Um, and, you know, it's really it was a, it was a really nice opportunity to sort of uplift again the work that I had done. I think back in January, I did a really extensive piece on the role of the conditional cash transfer programs in Mexico that actually started in the late 1990s. And, uh, you know, although they were happening without programmable money at that point, clearly they were a policy entry point for managing uh, low-income women and their children through the ed education space and through the health space. Uh, so these were um, public service payments, uh, but the families had to sort of perform certain behaviors uh, as regards to child rearing. And um, uh, this was a program that was developed widely through the World Bank, is now in like 80 different countries around the world, this idea of the conditional cash transfer. So I think we can see pretty clearly where it was going with sort of programmable money and UBI. So, um, you know, I, I just, I'm saying this too, because, you know, I, I have a lens that's a little bit different than most people. And, but I think it's really important because it's, it's linking like the specifics beyond sort of just broad poverty management. Um, it's, it's about, um, managing people in these cybernetic ways towards the data economy, towards social impact profit, and then towards eventually sort of the hive mind consciousness and uh, feeding our data into the singularity. Um, and, and, but it's not just sort of a broad brush about sort of the cabal or, um, you know, I'm, 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 I know I probably say this often, but I, I'm really hoping that people can start to look in their own backyards in more specific ways uh, of, of how this is presenting. And that it's not some um, thing out there. It's actually regular people, people who are doing, going, just getting up, going to work, doing their jobs. Um, many of the products they're developing, whether they're in the policy space, the government policy space, or the health space, or the education space, they're not aware of the fact that there are other um, dual purpose aspects to this. And um, so it's not like these are all evil people and we don't need to sort of run after them with hammers and, or be afraid to look, look you know, over where we are because we might actually have someone in, under um, 
that we catch, you know, that we realize is someone that we care about or someone that we're friendly with who's who's participating in in, in these activities. Um, so it's time. Like we need to sort of step away from the Klaus Schwabs. Um, you know, not that I'm saying that there's nothing there. Like there's some there there, but like we're never going to be able to influence the Davos crowd. Like regular people, like hearts and minds. That's not where the work is, in my opinion. And you know, I didn't come into this through sort of um, the deep state space or the truther space. Um, and I can see like you could spend your whole lifetime studying different things. Like you could spend a whole lifetime studying esoterics or you can do a whole your whole lifetime studying um, sort of the Trilateral Commission in the Council on Foreign Relations in Bilderberg. And like we could get a big handle on that history. Like we could get a you know, and, and I include history too. Like, don't get me wrong. I include, I think it's important to situate it within a historical context. But um, <laughs> I think I told somebody like within the past couple days, if we're not spending at least half, if not a little more than half of our intellectual capacity at this stage, trying to figure out what's going on with Web3, with, with digital identity and Web3, like, in very specific ways, we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna accomplish what we want to accomplish. We're not. We're just simply not. So, um, you know, be very mindful of how you spend your time online and how you spend your time in social media and what information you're consuming. Um, and you know, I'm not saying you just have to like I'm, you should consume my stuff and other people's stuff. It's not that. It's more like we're we're not paying attention to the thing that's rolling out right now in and getting up to speed on the terms and the concepts and the trajectories. And myself, like I'm still struggling with getting it all together. So let me just see over if I can get over here in a second. Okay, so I'm gonna do the picture in the picture. Let's see if that's gonna come up. Oh no, oh no, I guess it's not. Maybe I messed up my picture in a picture. Thing. Okay, well, I guess we'll do the full screen. Okay, well, I'll take a minute then, and this is, this is the full screen view. So um, this is the Hong Kong Time Bank pilot. Uh, this is part of my bigger descent map that I've been working on. Um, we'll go back to the, the, over, the overview. Whoa, there's the big map. I've been filling in this whole big section uh, today. Um, and the Hong Kong Time Bank, let me type this in. Uh, was something that Leo brought my attention to. Uh, and why is it not going in? Oh. All right, well, oh, it's, I guess I have to zoom in closer. <laughs> um, so this, the Hong Kong Time Bank is connected to this uh, data consortium. And, you know, when I was putting my map together, this this vicinity of the map is related to uh, the tokenomics and uh, common fare and these new versions of welfare where they wanted you to tell your story. And um, and yeah, it's it's uh, not the crypto libertarian space. This is going to be the progressive, the pseudo progressive 
answer to neoliberalism, right? Only we're not acknowledging that the answer to neoliberalism means uh, the cognitive capitalism and the data economy that is going to feed our soul as soul-bound tokens into the Sophia the Robot and her sister Grace. Um, and so a lot of this emergent consciousness is essentially privatizing, creating social impact investment markets in welfare uh, situations. Let me zoom in a little bit more. Uh, connecting it to impact data and then tracking the payments and the exchanges uh, through the digital payment platforms. And so I was looking at the T Hong Kong Time Bank uh, program and actually uh, Leo did, let me see if I have it in here. Yeah, so he he did a, a, a really nice write-up uh, in this in May on uh, at Silicon Icarus, uh, Blockchain Digital Twins and Global Brain Economics Part 2. It was a, a, a series. And I was really grateful because I had spent a lot of time looking at IXO Foundation before. And um, and Shanzai City is a partnered with, with IXO Foundation. And then they spun off this impact data consortium chain, IDCC. And we're working on essentially getting all of the impact data for sort of privatized social services in Hong Kong, which is a very densely populated city. And, you know, token, tokenizing time, time, um, time banks and cooperatives, those sort of appeal on either ends of the ideological spectrum to the, um, the right-leaning folks and the left-leaning folks, right? You've got the libertarians and the progressives, and they all think time banks are great, only they're not imagining that their time banks are ultimately going to be on blockchain. Um, so this is a piece uh, from Leo's article uh, from May about tokenizing time and, and the connection of this to this decentralized development finance framework. And it's important to know that in uh, the room, uh, consulting with these folks on the time bank, uh, this is this is a picture and they've got look they've got their maps like I've got my maps right and um, they have a workshop discussion with Will Ruddick of the grassroots economy and remember he's the guy who was all but dissertation from UC Boulder in high energy physics and then went on to the Stanford particle linear particle accelerator and then did a, a, a stint with uh, the Peace Corps on community accounting in Switzerland and then went off and, and set up a, a sort of uh, a token economy in, in Kenya. So he's come in from Africa, right? And he's there working on the time bank. And and, and right next to him uh, in the glasses here, this is Sean Conway. And Sean Conway was with IXO Foundation. And uh, they were the folks that were setting up, uh, working with Innovation Edge uh, on Ampli and putting South African toddlers on blockchain so they could earn social credit capital and uh, create early childhood impact commodities. And then there's a, another gentleman there, Ilex Lam, uh, who is in Hong Kong. And so they're figuring out this implementation. But clearly, given the people in the room, this is not a program that's just meant to be in Hong Kong. Um, and so I'm looking at the Time Bank paper, and I'm, I'm seeing things like um, how they're going to use technology to track uh, people who are in poverty. And it's, it's talking about uh, the, these time banks that they had were predominantly paper ledgers up to this point. Um, and they really wanted to shift towards the blockchain technology. So I'm just going to read this. This is from the time bank white paper. A large gap in the time bank model is that it does not design workforce development and upward mobility. Now, again, remember, workforce development and upward mobility, those are simp social impact uh, uh, matrices. 
By leapfrogging um, the current time bank practice from manually written paper ledgers to programmable and automatable blockchain ledgers, they can employ a flexible strategy to handle um, analog conditions that are empowered and governed by high-tech digital conditions, right? So they're working on automating it and making it programmable. And they wanted to come up with a common technology stack that would link a lot of different voucher programs. So Hong Kong had a lot of different time banks, but they were mostly local and they weren't interconnected. So this project was actually funded by Interchain Foundation, and they were all about the interoperability of the chains. Uh, so that was their goal, was to get all these different time banks uh, into a common system so that they could become interoperable. Um, and it says, once we get that, that you could vertically connect voucher programs with critical fungers like corporations, philanthropists, and impact investors who would like to contribute resources to the reserve backing the time vouchers. Now, I do believe that those reserves are actually um, gonna be social impact. So when you have these community currencies and uh, time banking systems, these monetary ecologies are probably gonna be backed by these billionaire tech money and also slush funds like the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Now it's saying that Hong Kong was a great test bed for this because it was a highly developed city and a global financial center. And uh, the time banks were this grassroots model that could connect government, philanthropy, and impact investment sectors, right? So it's very dense um, and there's a lot of opportunity to build up that P3 pipeline. Okay, so when I'm reading this and I'm seeing, okay, so here's the involvement of Sean Conway uh, with, with, you know, IXO Foundation, and he was working closely with the World Bank and New America and the World Health Organization and uh, UK Department for International Development. His, his original background was in health, but has expanded to the social impact space and is now working um, uh, in great detail on Web3. Uh, and then we've got, uh, there's uh, Mr. Lamb here, and he is with iEnterprises, uh, the Impact Investing Research Committee for the Greater China Alternative Managers Association. <laughs> so these are, these are well-connected individuals. And, um, uh, you know, it seems to me that, you know, when we're looking up here at cognitive, the cognitive society, cognitive capitalism, um, this premise that in the future you may actually be selling your unused brain cycles via um, brain computer interfaces on blockchain, that this all sort of works with the time banking model and the idea that maybe we're, the goal is to get us to be um, nodes in the computational system. Um, and for me, I see this linking with the common fair as uh, benefits data trust, which is uh, very much present in, um, in Philadelphia and um, working with a lot of philanthropists to back these monetary ecologies and back privatized uh, benefit systems. So um, anyway, so I'm looking at the Hong Kong time, time Bank pilot and I'm thinking, you know, this actually reminds me a lot of um, this white paper that I read back in the day in like 2012, 17, sorry, 2017, not that early, 2017, that was out of Idaho. And this idea in Idaho, uh, it was like, get the government out of your business and we'll do everything on blockchain. And what they were promoting was a, um, 
essentially privatized welfare. Now let me just see where I've got here. Okay, so um, let me see. It was up to Idaho. And I was like, this feels a lot like the John Birch Society. Wait a minute, guys. Let me just figure out Idaho Libertarian White Paper. Oh, there we go. Okay. So this is the paper uh, from, it was the 10th anniversary of the Idaho Freedom Foundation. This came out in 2017 and it was called Blockchain and Government, Using an Emerging Technology to Reduce Government's Interference in Your Life. (laughs) And it has all these little nodes interconnecting, these interconnecting facets. And and then it goes on to say, uh, featuring things like a community care system. So now we will have moved beyond um, the government interfering with your life and that we can have your life run by churches, charities, businesses, and donors. (laughs) Right. So we've got the pesky government out of the way and and then we brought online everybody else. And and see, I think that's actually what's going to move forward once we bankrupt government. Um, then there will be no buffer like they once we get the digital identity and the e-government in place, there will be no one to sort of protect us. Um, well, well, once the government sort of gets the digital ID, that will be the access point that would, they will have that access. And um they won't need the government anymore. Like once we're all on the blockchain and trackable, uh, then we can just be readily available to the impact financiers and the chambers of commerce and the faith institutions. And so this community care system for people who might be listening in who can't see the screen, uh, the first item it talks about donor money and it says churches, individuals, charities, and businesses put money into the community care system. And then it has the icons for each of them, churches, charity, business, donors. And then it says the blockchain application. Uh, Item number two, money distribution. Donor money enters into a smart contract, which automatically calculates and disperses funds to program participants. Okay, so we've got blockchain smart contracts and that's like UBI. Extra funds. The blockchain application stores any excess funds to cover operating costs or future shortfalls. Okay, so if there's any extra that's held on the chain. Matching funds. Uh, Any person or organization can donate to any individual uh, and a smart contract will increase the amount received up to a maximum monthly amount. So you can you can sort of sell yourself out for getting matching funds. And um, this idea that you're building a support network for yourself and you have peer to peer charity. (laughs) So you get this tiny bit of money and then you're you're going begging for the the rest of you know, the rest, rest of your income. And that's all being done through a digital wallet. And to me, that seemed very close to what the, the Hong Kong Time Bank was offering. And then it says every month, the blockchain application will dispense the tokens into the digital wallets. Um, and so I find that quite worrisome, uh, those things, because essentially, uh, they had a separate white paper called Making Welfare Work Without the Government at the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Um, and it's, it's saying that they want to essentially privatize charity, but charity will become an impact market, which means it's not actually charity at this point. Uh, this paper, it says, uh, Making Welfare Work Without Government, Building a Blockchain Peer-to-Peer Community Care System. Now, I think we need to understand that this is going to be linked to like computational nodes for swarm artificial intelligence. Like the care system is just there to keep you alive to like use your computational methods. So like it's important to understand that. 
And then it says the governmentalization of charity affects not just the donor, but also the recipient. The transformation of charity into legal entitlement has produced donors without love and recipients without gratitude. Antonin Scalia. And so, you know, so what we're saying, like, are we really imagining that a, like a DAO, like run out of the Silicon Valley Community Foundation is going to have love for people in need and, and that... Like, what does that mean in terms of recipients being grateful? Like, this is all being handled through smart contracts. It's like quite outrageous that they're even bringing in love and gratitude um, into the mix here. And again, they have a, a more detailed vision of this community care system uh, that again, prominently features churches, that's the first thing, but then individuals like what, like Peter Thiel or Mark Andreessen or Piero Mediar can invest in you and like how personal and caring that will be. Um, and that, but you know, the story they're telling is that, you know, this, this encourages well-being and, and building support networks. Um, and then this goes back to the token exchanges and the nudges that participants can use tokens to buy only eligible goods and services. So the, the money will be programmed it has verification that there will be biometric verification that ensures only the participant can spend their tokens. So there's like, you've got the biometric surveillance, you've got a token exchange. So businesses can automatically exchange tokens for donor money um, in, in that, like at the grocery store. And then it's all, all done on the ledger. So, um, so yeah, so so this was sort of the context of why I wanted to bring this out tonight was like in looking at the Hong Kong model and um, seeing its connection to this Idaho paper, Freedom Libertarian Freedom Paper from 2017, 2018, uh, connecting this to the moral markets that we talked about in the past, um, you know, in the faith communities, right? That you're, you know, and Satan's proposal that everyone will go to heaven because the machines will make sure that everybody is good. Um, oh, here is actually the, the part of the paper from the uh, Hong Kong Time Bank that talks about tokenized social services. Now in Hong Kong, from their paper, they're saying, for large public-private partnerships, multi-service NGOs are agencies that provide a wide spectrum of different types of services. They face the continual bottleneck of service providers that must be assigned to beneficiaries in need who have to be certified and then matched and service providers reimbursed and it's also clunky. Um, and this is done through a paper trail and it's really inefficient. So what they're talking about is putting it all on blockchain so that they can identify needs in the community and signal the needs of individuals, map the needs, validate the needs uh, tied to tokens, match community members with service providers, provide point of sale payment of tokens and uh, the financial settlement from the philanthropy or the government agencies. So, um, you know, that's all exactly the same thing as this Idaho paper. And again, in a cloud-based world, all they need is the use case model and then it can be sent to anywhere where at any time. So, so then I'm gonna, let me see if this part will work. Um, oh, darn. Okay, I think I've somehow messed up my uh, 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 my. Anyway, I'll try to go back this way. Um, all right, so you don't get to see me tonight, but I'll just do the reading then. Um, so yeah, and I'll figure this stuff out later. Technology, right? So these are the two blog posts that I wanted to read out loud. Uh, I, they were the first one was in June of 2019. 
Uh, actually, they were both in June of 2019. I must have sort of written them together and then chunked them out into different parts. Um, so they're all about Alice. And it's interesting, actually, if you think about some of the work that I've done around Alice in Wonderland and the Utah teapot. Um, you know, there are many Alices in the world. You know, there, I think CERN has an Alice. There's an Alice software program at CMU. There's a lot of Alices. Um, and of course, uh, Lewis Carroll, I can't remember his actual name, but like the, the mathematician and logician. So I think Alice was chosen with a certain amount of intention. Uh, this one is called What About Alice? The United Way Collective Impact and Libertarian Charity, in quotes, <laughs> uh, charity in air quotes. And the, the, the feature image on this is an online dashboard called uh, Alice's Applications. And it's one of these uh, donation systems that now we're getting much, much closer to. Uh, again, this is in 2019, but even within three years, we're a lot closer to having these like online portals through digital identity for individual investment. Um, now, I will say I'm, you know, this is sort of my frustration in the whole like, Tell me more about the cabal, the globalists. I'm like, guys, like, do you have a United Way or a YMCA or a Boys and Girls Club in your town? Because if so, that is part of this structure. Now, we don't need to make everyone associated with those organizations a bad person or wrong or unethical. But we do need to acknowledge that these systems, which are just kind of boring, right? They're not that exciting, but that this is what is coming that these, this is part of the system. And so while you might want to like be really excited to go look at some faraway place for the problem, I bet you dollars to donuts if you're in a big to medium-sized city, there's a United Way that's working on this. Um, so, so I'm just going to read, this is the blog post. Um, it, it features, I have a couple images. One has Alice, that's asset limited, income constrained, employed, which are the working poor. And then underneath is an image called How the United Way Works. And this is the impact finance, that they identify community goals. Uh, they have a limited number of issues they work on. They have impact strategies to change community conditions. From that, they frame those goals as investment products. Okay, so that's not the most logical thing you can imagine, that you would frame a goal as an investment product, but that's because this is about human capital finance. You would connect contributor interests with those products and then educate, engage, and think. And then through all of that, you, you're implementing impact strategies in partnership with others. Okay, so this is the beginning of the uh, blog post. It seems the United Way is planning for a future inhabited by a mass underclass of precarious labor. In fact, this future may already be here. It's just not evenly distributed as the quote attributed to William Gibson suggests. For the past few years, United Way chapters nationwide have been mobilizing awareness campaigns around ALICE. The acronym stands for Assets Limited, Income Constrained, Employed. ALICE does not signify just female and female identifying adults, but instead the masses of the working poor and their families. Alice is the raw material that will be fed into the United Way's collective impact machine. And collective impact is a phrase you should know very closely. Alice's may be pregnant teens, foster youth, single parents, indebted students, veterans, the disabled, the chronically ill, the elderly, the addicted, or families holding down multiple jobs who still cannot make ends meet. Okay, so then we have the images of Alice and about the investment strategies. 
Stephanie Hoops, who earned a PhD in government and international relations for the Lon from the London School of Economics, developed the Alice Campaign, which is housed within the United Way and has served as its director since 2015. She taught in the United Kingdom early in her career and then became the treasurer of the New Jersey Public Television Network. Um, so again, we've got public television, right? She also taught at Columbia and Rutgers where she served as director for the Rutgers Newark, New Jersey Data Bank. Social impact investing runs on data, especially interoperable data. Now, it's important to know that New Jersey, like the northern New Jersey area, is the center for a lot of the key hedge funds, both in Connecticut and northern New Jersey. This January, that's 2019, Hoops participated as a panelist in a quote-unquote prosperity symposium in Philadelphia that was hosted by the Federal Reserve. Michael Nutter, uh, Bloomberg's What Works government sidekick, was a co-host. And not surprisingly, there was much discussion of the need for additional research, but little mention of redistribution of resources to those in need. Federal Reserve branches across the nation are in the process of launching, quote, economic mobility initiatives, swift on the heels of the passage of the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. The Social Impact Partnerships Pay for Results Act and their companion program promoting investing in opportunity zones. All right, so I'm going to just take a minute and pop over here. Um, uh, oh gosh, let me see. I'm, I'm trying to remember. So I, I've been working on adding uh, the co the authors to this book uh, that was uh, edited by Bernard Lietaire, the guy with the uh, architect of the euro and the community complementary currencies. And the book is called uh, From Bitcoin uh, to Burning Man and Beyond. And it, it's actually, it's available on the archive.org, the Wayback Machine book. So um, you can get the PDF there. And it's, it's very readable and, and the people who are involved are, are quite significant. Okay, it was written in 2014. So I've been gradually adding the various uh, people who wrote the various chapters and I'll just point out uh, one person I added yesterday in respect to Opportunity Zones. His name is Peter Hirschberg. Um, it's Hirschberg with an I, H-I-R-S-H-B-E-R-G. And uh, Mr. Hirschberg got his start early on in Apple. He was with Apple Enterprise from 1984 to 1993 and then became an advisor for the United Nations for this Global Pulse Poverty Making Program. And, and then additionally, he was all about creative placemaking and urban, uh, sensible urban environments, so sensing the cyber-physical environments and catalyzing new development. And later on, I'm going to talk a little bit about Schumpeter and creative destruction. Uh, but these opportunity zones are ways to sort of money launder lots of different um, information, lots of different cash through uh, redlined, you know, I guess we don't call it redlining anymore, but like intentionally disinvested neighborhoods. And these opportunity zones, every governor was supposed to identify 20% of their low income census tracts. So when I saw Mr. Hirschberg, this is the first time I've actually seen someone who is part of a, a development finance group specifically targeting opportunity zones. And uh, his LinkedIn shows that he's a venture partner in something called the Catalyst Opportunity Zone Impact Fund in, in the Bay Area. And they use data analytics and machine learning to evaluate projects and businesses based on hundreds of data points that put investor capital to use on profitable projects. Um, so, you know, that's 
pretty out there, right? I mean, and they're talking about reinventing America's cities by matching investors to the projects in these zones, but with big data and machine learning. And the fact that his earlier work was talking about being sen sensible, like sensing, um, uh, through creative placemaking. He was on the board of something called Place Lab, uh, Build Public, a nonprofit working on innovating public placemaking through creative, institutional, physical, and policy design. And um, he also worked at something called uh, the Reimagine Group that was working. Oh, no, it wasn't the Reimagine Group. It was City Innovate. Uh, the City Innovate Foundation, which, surprise, surprise, again, another Bay Area program with UC Berkeley and the MIT Media Lab. Uh, promoting global civic innovation uh, with entrepreneurs and nonprofits and urban officials. Um, and so those those programs, um, you know, that's this, this City Innovate program. Uh, and now that's expanded. That was in 2014 and 2015. So when they talk about the opportunity zones, uh, that's, oh, sorry, really important to remember. Okay. So Back to the blog. While they may dangle prosperity in front of the Alice's, the social impact investment scheme relies on folks never attaining stability, let alone prosperity. The Alice's are going to be compelled to jump through hoop after hoop. Stephanie Hoops, it's interesting her name, right? Digitally monitored, of course. Workforce training for non-existent jobs. Addiction treatment that never offers a permanent cure. Preventative health regimens that fail to take into account the toxic environment in which the poor are forced to live. That is how the game of human capital speculation goes. The Alice's may be allowed to improve their lot in some small and measurable ways, but global growth metrics are after sorry, growth metrics after all are needed to fuel the impact markets. So they do need a little bit of improvement. Um, but we know that few Alice's will ever be able to grasp the brass ring. Widespread prosperity would mean that conditions suitable for impact investing would cease and that they would not allow that to happen. Those in power demand that this macabre game continue. Why? Because human capital investments are one of the few remaining places that can absorb concentrated flows of wealth that must continue to be circulated. Alice management is a crucial element in this next phase of biocapitalism. And then I, I have a, a map of the Prosperity Symposium, but it's really complicated and it's, it's one of those maps that got taken off of Little Sis, so I don't have really good resolution, but there's, there's a map there. A prominent supporter of the Alice concept is Senator Cory Booker, who is also from Northern New Jersey and a major player in education privatization. He has an interest in social impact investing, having served on the board of the Bloomberg Family Foundation and co-sponsored the Social Impact Partnership Pay for Results Act, which I wrote about here. As mayor of Newark, Booker worked closely with Mark Zuckerberg on innovative approaches to transforming the city's public schools, which caused grave harm to the children of that city. While many labeled the effort a failed investment, if Zuckerberg's endgame was actually to test interventions and further destabilize the system as a way of laying the groundwork for a broader program of impact investing, he might actually consider it a success. Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan have put considerable dollars into scaling the Silicon Valley Regional Data Trust in San Jose. Such an interoperable data system is exactly the type of infrastructure that is needed to track and evaluate the pay-for-success deals that will be imposed on those fitting the Alice profile. And so then I have a, a little map, this one's a little more visible, of how Alice works in the northern New Jersey area. Um, 
there's this main circle that's Alice, uh, that's connected to the United Way, the United Way of Northern New Jersey, and Stephanie Hoops, who was at the symposium and connected to this New Jersey data bank. Of course, the, it's the cognitive capitalism data economy. Uh, and she was connected to Rutgers University in Newark uh, through the Joseph Cornell Center for Metropolitan Studies. And then it has uh, Cory Booker, uh, who is connected to the uh, CIPRA, Democrats for Education Reform, the Alliance for School Choice, so both sides, right? Uh, Newark Public Schools and Mark Zuckerberg, which then connects to the Chan Zuckerberg and Data Zone. The ALICE initiative is backed by a variety of corporate and philanthropic interests working in the areas of finclusion or predatory lending, healthcare, insurance, energy, technology, and education. Several are members of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Councils, and have ties to social impact finance, including Deloitte, which published a, paper, a white paper on the importance of impact investing for hedge funds, and UPS, the corporate arm of the Annie E. Casey Foundation that I mentioned in my earlier post. For impact investment predators, Alice's are a vast pool of untapped potential, if only they can be properly profiled, packaged, and processed through pay-for-success collective impact systems. Their dire situations would be somewhat ameliorated, netting a solid profit for those with the resources to underwrite the evidence-based solutions needed to fix them. Okay, and then I have the, the various sponsors, which are somewhat unreadable. It says Alice's National Advisory Council members include Aetna, an insurer in healthcare innovation and digital identity, AT&T, which is an ALEC member uh, involved in EdTech, Smart City, 5G, and EduCare Pre-K, the Atlantic Health System, Deloitte, uh, a consulting firm advancing uh, edge computing, impact finance, uh, collaborating on futures initiative with the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund and Singularity University, Entergy, which is another ALEC member and an energy company, Johnson & Johnson, another ALEC member, Digital Health, Global Aid, Maternal Mobile Health Innovations, and is the corporate arm of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Key Bank, which is a regional bank in Ohio, uh, RJW Barnabas Health, uh, New Jersey-based healthcare system, UPS, which is the corporate arm of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, which is involved in globalized supply chain tracking, labor, labor automation, and is a member of the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance and U.S. Venture, uh, which is an energy company. And it says, uh, in my next post, I will discuss another Alice, which is Alice.si. Alice.si is a blockchain platform designed to support peer-to-peer -peer social impact charity. It was bankrolled by the Social Tech Seed Fund, which is the charitable arm of Nominate Trust, which is the entity that manages internet domain registries in the UK. The Ethereum platform partnered with the UK government's innovation hub and has a satellite office in the United States. In 2017, their US base was in Philadelphia, as noted in this petition to the FCC, but their website seems to indicate it has since been relocated to Burlingame, California. And so then I have a map. This one I can read, uh, blockchain philanthropy. Uh, the main circle is Alice and it has uh, Tramonex Labs. Uh, they were a client. Uh, it's connected to Innovate UK. Oh, Giveth, all right. I just did a thing. We're gonna, Leo and Jason and I are gonna talk about Giveth later this week. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wow, okay. Uh, Mango Pay, uh, Wellesley and York Capital Partners and Bethnal Green Venture Partners. So uh, venture capital and blockchain giving platforms. 
the Social Tech Seed Fund was the, the startup funding. Uh, that money came from the Nominette Trust. And the Nominette Trust, um, they were the ones who assigned the IP addresses. Uh, and then in Philadelphia, there was, there was an office in Adam Gladstone uh, who had ties to Mobiquity Comcast and is a graduate, not shocker there, of Wharton uh, Business School. So uh, the services that Alice.si proposes are eerily similar to those floated in a 2018 libertarian white paper crafted by the Idaho Freedom Foundation, blockchain and government, using an emerging technology to reduce the government's interference in your life. In it, automated systems track the supposed impact of private donations to charitable programs or individuals in need of assistance. The infographics below give you a sense of how they envision it operating. Imagine such a system overlaid with specific sets of values written into computer code and automated. That technology exists in a basic form. Uh, fortunately, it's not yet scalable or socially acceptable. But, you know, that was three years ago. It was not totally scalable or acceptable, but it's feeling like it's a lot more <laughs> ready to be scaled now. So, yeah. So that's the end of that first Alice one. And then I have uh, a second post called uh, Alice and Automated Poverty Management. Um, and the feature article on this is actually from something called uh, the NPX... Uh, impact security webpage. And I think that this piece of their page has been taken down, so I'm glad to have a screenshot of it. But it says, survival of the fittest. Apply free market principles to drive unprecedented efficiency in the multi-billion dollar nonprofit industry. And, you know, again, I, I let me see if I can, um, the, this, this, you know, brings me back to this sort of Jeremy Bentham panopticon. I'm, you know, back on the map again now. Um, you know, social efficiency, that's Taylorism, right? And, and scaling it and optimizing it, right? And, and you're going to call it a philosophic calculus, right? That you're here to do, um, do what is morally right and producing good for society at scale on blockchain, but, you know, as I mentioned in one of my previous streams, you know, they were talking about in the, the pauper workhouses, which is essentially what the Alice situation is, is also incorporating their children and, 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 and using the children's play, um, their, their inclination to run, uh, to tie it to some sort of mechanized system that could harness their free energy uh, into running the machinery on this like sinking stage um, harnessed mechanism, right? So it's just how twisted this all is. But, um, you know, and, and Edwin Chadwick was an associate of Bentham, and uh, he was involved in franchise bidding contracts for public services. And uh, the, the reform, so supposed reforms of the UK poor laws and the public health acts. Um, and his father, Andrew, was actually a close associate of John Wesley of the Methodism. So you, you've got this mechanical happiness and calculus, um, but you know, it's, it's been translated now into survival of the fittest. So that's, that's where we, what we've got now. Okay, so, uh, so at the end of my previous post, I introduced Alice.si, an Ethereum blockchain software platform investors developed to automate payments to charitable projects that would prove measurable impact. And, um, 
and then I have the, the homepage of Alice and its logo is this sort of little blue spiral. And um, in the, the background, it looks like one of those big dandelion fluffs, which is interesting how often the dandelion fluffs come up. It, it's one of like the big ones, like the kinds you see out in Colorado. It's not like a little city kind of dandelion, but it's definitely a sort of a floaty puff thing. And it says transparent social impact. Alice is a platform that brings transparency to social funding through blockchain technology. And, you know, of course, many of these systems are broken on purpose so that they can um, usher in their, their new resolution. And, um, you know, it, 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 in fact, it says the social funding model is broken. Um, okay. So this is from the blog. Uh, so this platform employs a pay for results structure an approach adopted by numerous governments, including ones in the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, and Australia. After years of data-driven austerity, it is becoming more and more acceptable for public services to be outsourced to nonprofit and faith-based partners. Reimbursement for services can then be tied to outcomes-based government contracts, an arrangement that has garnered support from both progressive and conservative quarters. To get the data required to run their human capital, Life Outcomes uh, Gambling uh, Life Outcomes Gambling Enterprise financiers intend to digitally engineer the lives of the poor and compel vulnerable communities to conform to racialized systems of domination that extract profit from misery and dispossession. Black and brown communities will bear the brunt of ever more technologized systems of bondage imposed by hedge fund traders. The rising income inequality and expanded militarized policing ensure a majority of the population will eventually come under scrutiny. Below is a screenshot of an impact dashboard similar to Alice.si. Social Suite is backed by Salesforce and operates in Australia in partnership with IXO Foundation. So we're back to Sean Conaway and IXO. And the other day somebody mentioned... Um, they were asking me about Salesforce, um, and I was like, "Yeah, this is so." So Salesforce provided backing for the the creation of Social Suite, which is these online data data analytics dashboards. So, you know, again, in 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 this place, as you drill down and you understand the mechanism, this idea of like the globalist coup or the cabal, it just doesn't resonate with me because what this is, this that this is sort of bubbling up from all quarters um, and it's just much more boring like your open air prison looks like a data dashboard and a phone app and like there's just regular people work you know working people who are paying off their student loans who are going to jobs designing these apps and systems and you know telling themselves that they're doing a good job and there's many people who are administering these social services and entering data in the dashboards, whether they're healthcare providers or teachers or social workers, and they're also part of this structure. That doesn't mean that they're inherently bad people, but we have to actually start to look not at sort of the, oh, there's some big thing out there, but like, no, no, it's right here and it's boring and yet it's also intensely dominating. Okay. So uh, yeah, so how does Social Suite work? This is the image from IXO. There's an online marketplace. You can choose a validated impact measurement framework from hundreds uh, on our impact marketplace. Uh, SAAS, I guess software as a service platform with a mobile app. Frontline staff easily connect impact data from multiple sources over time using our SAAS platform and mobile app. 
dashboards in AI. Our dashboards show impact achieved in real time with artificial intelligence benchmarks against similar investments. So everybody's on a leaderboard. Everybody's on a leaderboard and the AI is running everyone. Smart contracts for funding. Data collected in Social Suite combined with the IXO blockchain protocol allows smart contracts to release funding based on verified, verified social impact data. Share the knowledge. So this verified data is going to be like going, you know, a wearable technology or, you know, information that's entered in your health portal or your education transcript or, um, that somebody has entered on you, or you know, even Shanzai City had images where people were going into like remote rural villages and taking pictures of the insides of people's houses with phones and counting that as impact data. So all of that is getting fed into the AI, and then that's the stuff that's gonna flow over into Ocean Protocol to help make the singularity. Impact investors claim charitable donations are dwindling because the wealthy don't trust service providers. They are not transparent enough with their data. LSSI apparently solves this problem. It collects lots of data and makes it readily available for impact analysis. But really, the rich don't actually want to give away assets, preferring to leverage them to accrue ever more wealth. That is how the machine of capitalism works. Every social impact effort, however progressive it may appear, is ultimately about redirecting resources away from the multitudes at the bottom to a few powerful interests at the top. And that's the case. I mean, all of this is about making money. So if what, you know, what we're looking at is imagine all of a sudden charity becomes an impact market, right? Like think of all the church endowments and that they're going to be making money off of that. And that this is um, the humanitarian aid will be making money off of that and the charity and like everything is about. So it, it's just the whole thing is just a tower that's about to topple. Like I can't imagine that they're gonna be able to keep the story up for very long. Okay, um, service delivery uh, must by design get leaner and leaner as the poor are squeezed for more and more data, their lives increasingly circumscribed by imposed interventions. As each round of supposed success concludes, profit is taken, thus guaranteeing the next investment round has fewer material resources to offer the poor. Those at the top do not intend to redistribute their holdings, only increase them. To do otherwise would fly in the face of the investment premise. To do so would in fact be charity. And the age of unconditional charity has evidently come to a close, as has the age of living wage dignified work. For these reasons, Alice SI's functionality will very likely extend into the what works public sector. One of the first proofs of concept for Alice SI involves services for 15 quote unquote, rough sleepers or unhoused folks in London. If you want to take a deep dive into the broken on purpose nature of pay for success finance, I encourage you to read social justice accountant Cameron Graham's seven part series. It lays bare the sinister mechanics of the St. Mungo's social impact bond featured in the image below. It can be read on his blog, Fearful Asymmetry here. This social impact bond was advanced by Sir Ronald Cohen and social finance in 2015. While housing is a key, an area of keen interest to social impact investors, uh, parentheses, supportive housing, providing a useful node through which data extracting services can be deployed, success metrics are also readily applied to chronic illness, addiction, mental health, youth services, foster care, end-of-life care, and education and training. Much of the technological infrastructure needed for automated pay for results is being refined through humanitarian global aid channels, also featured in the screenshot below. 
So we have transparent appeals. Our first live application is a donation platform showing donors exactly what impact their money makes. Have a look at our first pilot below helping 15 rough sleepers in London. And then they have the uh, homelessness, St. Mungo's, London Street impact, 15 lives. And then you've got food security and environment, you know, uh, children and youth, housing, humanitarian aid, mental stability. So it's like shopping. You're like, it's like, and, and this is what we've come to, like all of this crowdsource funding. This is, this is, you know, like it's been normalized, right? You go online and, and you do, you do the payment this way. You'd shop around for your investment, right? Your human capital investment. Funding for Alice.si's development came from Social Tech Trust, originally the corporate foundation for Nominate and later spun off as its own venture. Nominate manages the internet domain registry for the UK. The company is also deeply involved with emerging technologies that can manage, track, and predict people's behavior in ubiquitous computing environments, internet of things sensors, smart city initiatives, autonomous vehicles, and drones. Alice SI has the support of the UK government's innovation program, firms involved in venture capital, as well as digital payment systems. And for a time, it maintained a US presence in Philadelphia. Uh, and then there's a, uh, a presentation uh, that was from 2017 at DevCon. And uh, so, yeah, I think Jason's been doing some, <laughs> anyway, he knows all about DevCon, yeah. And then we've got, um, so with Alice SI, organizations set up to process the poor via these evidence-based solutions, and evidence-based is a key word. Um, and they agree to share impact metrics and pro progress towards goals, progress towards goals, that's cybernetics, by uploading regular reports to a blockchain platform with a public-facing dashboard. So with the Alice SI platform, investors may opt to provide seed funding upfront with remaining payments held in escrow until success is proven digitally. And only after conditions of blockchain smart contracts are met will subsequent payments be released. Okay, so I have an image here uh, for those listening in who can't see the screen. Um, it's taken from the white paper that Alice SI has. Uh, the text of it says, the Alice Donations Protocol implements a payment by result system whereby social organizations only receive money from donors if they can prove their project has achieved the goal. If they fail to do so, donors get a refund. Graphically, the system can be represented as follows. So donors feed into, they, they have a conditional donation that's held in a contract in escrow. It will pay for the goal if the goal is met. Uh, there is a goal validation request through the protocol and then the validator says whether or not they met the expectations of the, of the smart contract. Okay. Um, instead of relying on a third-party organization to evaluate the success of the project, Alice.si is meant to automate the evaluation part of the pay-for-success process. And this will supposedly reduce costs and speed it up. And impact investors are always seeking solutions that can be inexpensively brought to scale. Blockchain becomes the trusted third party. Instead of an entity like Palantir reviewing the data, it is done automatically. And of course, that means that success must be defined as a number on a dashboard and personal data on individuals accessing charitable services must be harvested and uploaded to prove that success. And so that is the ongoing surveillance state. Um, 
that data mining might happen when an individual's caseworker enters information into a social welfare system. But increasingly, compliance monitoring will be managed through Internet of Things sensors and XAPIs, or apps. Indeed, wearable tech is becoming normalized to the point that in 2018, the Stanford Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society, a pioneer in impact investing policy, hosted a webinar to discuss the ethical and security implications of linking innovative tech to global human capital investment. You can watch that here and have a link. This transparent data will drive a free market approach to global impact investments. Now, you may recall from my post on the possibility of a pre-K TARP toxic asset relief program, the MPX has devised an impact security structure where social service entities may issue debt for their operations in the form of bonds. Investors purchase the bonds and when success metrics are attained, donors repay the investment plus interest. Such bonds can be traded on secondary markets. A similar approach has been built into Alice SI, Debt is tokenized on blockchain and can be bought and sold with payment flows that change in real time. The screenshot below was taken from the MPX website. It says, this image says, impact investors, link impact and returns, invest in a nonprofit organization and earn returns based on impact. Standardized financial product. Use a standardized investment vehicle that increases transaction speed, transparency, and transferability. PRI plus MRI eligible. Participation is open to program-related investments and mission-related investments, and that's grant funding. All participants, accountability. Kickstart the creation of a performance-focused sector by explicitly linking funding with impact. Impact data transparency. Streamlined transparent impact reported with independent validation. And then I have survival of the fittest, apply free market principles to drive unprecedented efficiency in the multi-billion dollar nonprofit industry. Nonprofit industry, that's what they call it. So, and then it says this screenshot was taken from the Alice White Papers. Um, this is about the secondary market trading phase. Investors are free to sell their coupon tokens at any time on the network's secondary exchange market, powered by a series of trading contracts. This is meant to provide liquidity to investments, given the well-documented dearth of clear exit events in the social impact sector. And it makes it easier for investors to fit projects within their investment horizons. Trades are facilitated by the fact that any prospective buyer has absolute transparency over how a bond has performed to date in both impact and financial terms. Uh, once a coupon has been transferred by the selling investor, payment flows are automatically rerouted to the buying investor. And I think some of that might be related to the um, bonding curves, uh, uh, alpha bonding curves that Leo had been talking about. In this new world of human capital speculation, social welfare services will be underwritten by far-flung amalgamations of pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, venture capital funds, and insurers. Such was the case I wrote about in Connecticut, where a French bank and an Australian insurance company put up money to fund, quote, family stability interventions for Connecticut families where a parent was experiencing addiction and had involvement with child protective services. It is possible that in the not-too-distant future, quote-unquote, philanthropic entities could be set up as DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Uh, DAOs or DAFs, Decentralized Autonomous Funds, these are legally incorporated entities written in computer code that once activated proceed according to their set purpose, distributing funds with no human input whatsoever. 
Let me repeat, once a DAO is set loose, there is no human involvement, none. The concept for automated charity was put forth in a 2015 white, uh, 2015 white paper prepared by the Charities Aid Foundation, an LS.SI partner based in the UK. The paper was called Giving Unchained, Philanthropy and Blockchain. CAF heralds this advance, positing a future in which Internet of Things underpinned by blockchain technology lead to a world where smart machines emerge as a new hyper-rational donor class. If the actions of Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Mark Benioff, and Pierre Omidyar concern you now, imagine a future where they set up a DAOs or DAFs to carry out their social impact agendas. Few people realize this is even a possibility. It is terrifying. I'm really not sure why progressive and left movements are so in the dark about all of this. We need to be discussing it, it in very serious terms, how to stop it. And this is a screenshot from the white paper. Can we use colored coins to represent assets within the digital space and thus open up a possibility of making donations of intangible assets such as intellectual property? Could self-governing smart contracts offer new employees for businesses to embed philanthropy at their core and new ways for charities to raise money and address social problems? Can blockchain technology offer a form of radical transparency that can overcome public skepticism and lack of trust? Will an internet of things underpinned by blockchain technology lead to a world in which smart machines emerge as a new hyper-rational donor class? According to their white paper, Alice uh, used the blockchain to record almost every parameter of projects run on the network, tokenizing impact data into impact facts that live on in perpetuity thanks to blockchain's intrinsic qualities of data immutability and tamper resistance. Imagine how many impact facts might be collected on a low-income family trying to survive multi-generational trauma in a city of deep poverty. For impact investors, broken people and broken families are valuable commodities. Valuable, that is, if predictive analytics in indicate they can be quote-unquote fixed inexpensively. Poor people whose metrics indicate a good growth profile will be sought out and cultivated while the non-compliant poor will be pushed into carceral systems or abandoned and left to their own devices. This processing of lives through privatized, prescriptive, evidence-based interventions is central to the continued expansion of the fourth industrial revolution's knowledge economy, one defined by concentrated capital, financialization, rising levels of poverty, and surplus labor. I fear if we do not strongly contest the current framing of the social impact investing as a quote-unquote public good, the future of work for many will be navigating predatory social service systems subject to predictive profiling and intrusive surveillance. LSSI transforms the world into a treacherous one of uh, to a treacherous augmented reality video game, a maze the poor and those servicing them must navigate. Players must not only attempt to live in the game, but hit agreed-upon targets, unlock rewards, and level up. In order for these systems to function, organizations must be able to keep track of people. In this game of impoverished life, each person is their own token, avatar, piece in play. Those in power expect to be able to monitor the resources being invested into them and quantify the success metrics that person produces. Self-sovereign digital identity is another piece of the puzzle. I'll discuss this concept further in my next post on the world's first blockchain baby born in Tanzania last year.
so, um, yeah, you know, I might, I might actually, if you have a second, I, uh, let me see if I can get up to the, uh, do the pre-K tarp, because I think it will make sense now. This is one of these um, blog posts like I made, and I'm like, no one's gonna understand this for like 15 years, but like the Toxic Assets Relief Program, I've, I've been talking about how the, you know, the, um, uh, the, the next phase, the next big short is the human capital, right? And they're focused on the children. So this is a pretty quick one, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna read through this because I think it builds off this idea of tokenizing uh, public benefit systems and then using that as toxic debt products, and then what that means if the things attached to those toxic debt isn't, um, uh, you know, not just mortgages but actually children, um, and what that looks like. So. It says, will we see a pre-K TARP, Toxic Assets Relief Program, in 20 years? And then I have a, a picture from uh, the big short, the, the men sitting around the table. Over 20 plus years, Harlem Children's Zone uh, grew from a one block pilot offering integrated social service delivery to a vast enterprise overseeing 20,000 children and adults within a 97 block area. Under the leadership of Jeffrey Canada, hundreds of millions of dollars flowed from finance interests into HCZ's Harlem Children's Zones programs, including Promise Academy charter schools, which were prominently featured in the social impact documentary, Waiting for Superman. Extended day uh, charters, full day pre-K, parent academies, and health initiatives are all key to the effort and collect lots of data. Canada has no problem funding these services with the support of deep-pocketed donors and, political, and, and a political climate created by Michael Bloomberg and Superintendent Joel Klein, in which a privatized business-like approach to education and social service delivery was more than welcome. Over the years, critics voiced skepticism that such an approach could ever scale, since private investors cover a majority of the Harlem Children's Zone's operational costs. Perhaps not workable in the present climate, but very possible in a near future what works world where real money is to be made on hedged investments in human capital data. It is no coincidence that the hedge fund managers are the ones so eager to help refine these data-driven interventions that will eventually have debt instruments attached. Predictive analytics is their wheelhouse. With requirements for evidence-based programs now in the books, ubiquitous computing coming online and innovative financial pilots like the MPX Impact Security underway, the pieces are clicking into place. This week, the World Economic Forum announced a three-year plan to, quote, launch a platform for social sector transformation in response to, quote, new technological challenges. Surely, outcomes-based government and development aid contracts must be part of this plan. And then I have an image. Civil Society in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Preparation and Response. This is from January of 2019. It has, has the profile of a, a woman sort of like from the teens overlooking a smart city with Wi-Fi nodes all over her head. Gary Cohn, a former president of Goldman Sachs who briefly served as Trump's economic advisor, has long been a member of the Harlem Children's Zones board. During that time, Goldman Sachs led the build-out of the U.S. social impact bond market in the aftermath of the 2008 economic crisis. Uh, Cohn became president and co-chief operating officer of the firm in 2006. A decade later, the company was eventually fined $5 billion by the U.S. Department of Justice for serious misconduct surrounding the sale of mortgage-backed securities between 2005 and 2007. 
just the sort of folks you'd want handling pre-K education and so social service debt instruments, right? At a 2014 gathering hosted by Ready Nation on early childhood impact investing, Ian Galloway of the San Francisco Federal Reserve noted that not only had Goldman Sachs been a leader in the space, they'd practically created the marketplace out of thin air. The map below shows the firm's holdings in pre-K SIBs in Salt Lake City and Chicago, as well as the Roca SIB in Massachusetts. Let me see if I, this clip will come up. seen one social impact bond, you've seen one social impact bond, right? Uh, that is true with one exception, and that is that just about every social impact bond out there has Goldman Sachs's fingerprints all over it. Uh, they are by far the, the leaders in this space. They're creating uh, this marketplace uh, out of thin air, and, and I commend uh, Christina and, and her colleagues uh, for, for their hard work uh, on that front. Rick Edwards is a partner at Third Sector Capital. I've had the privilege of working with Third Sector uh, actually quite a bit because uh, we were we actually pulled together a, a compilation of essays last. All right, so yes, they made it out of thin air. <laughs> All right, so go, yeah. So yeah, so this TARP thing I don't think is far off. Um, so there's a map that I included in here. Um, it has Harlem Children's Zone. Uh, with the president and chairman, Jeffrey Canada uh, was the CEO for many, many years, uh, and Stanley Druckenmiller was the board chair, and they went to Bowdoin together. Uh, it's a private school in Maine, and uh, Stanley Druckenmiller was one of uh, George Soros's uh, hedge fund managers, and together they actually shorted the British pound to the tune of about a billion dollars, I think. Um, so these are, again, the kind of people who are managing the pre-K finance. And then I have Gary Cohn, uh, who was with the Institute of International Finance, the Office of American Innovation. Um, he had ties to Jared Kushner. Uh, he was the uh, chief economic advisor to Trump briefly. And he was working uh, uh, for Goldman Sachs as the uh, president and uh, member of the management team. And Goldman Sachs had numerous social impact bonds, including Rikers Island. Massachusetts ROCA, Chicago Pre-K Social Impact Bond, and the Granite School District Pre-K Social Impact Bond in Utah. So Goldman Sachs has also been a pioneer in the development of automated trading. So who is examining the potentially devastating consequences of AI-dictated trades of securitized public debt originating from pay-for-success contracts? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> As a smart city, uh, as smart city interests seek to link 5G, Internet of Things, to public service deployment and the digital surveillance and predictive policing of black and brown communities is on the rise, Minority Report is beginning to seem like a very real possibility. The Structured Industry Finance Group and the Digital Chamber of Commerce commissioned a study from Deloitte entitled Applying Blockchain in Securitization, Opportunities for Reinvention. And on page 18 of the report, it states in part, quote, in the specific case of securitized assets and especially those ABS, asset-backed security asset classes, where markets have suboptimal levels of liquidity and transparency, read debt tied to the outsourcing of public services via outcomes-based contracts, a blockchain could fundamentally improve pricing efficiency and deepen the market, followed by, quote, direct data feeds, um, uh, direct data feeds, and I'm saying parentheses, read uh, IoT wearables, screen-based interactions tied to digital identity, close parentheses, from blockchain, could also make it easier to automate analytics and develop more sophisticated investment strategies and risk management techniques. 
again, imagine just the whole surveillance and risk and profiling. I mean, it's all about that. So um, this, this image, it's the cover with the Structured Finance Industry Group and the Digital Chamber of Commerce applying blockchain and securitization. Um, and it's, it's got a bunch of hexagons, uh, honey, you know, the standard honeycomb with ones and zeros on there. And that's Deloitte. And then uh, this is from the report itself. Can blockchain reinvent the securitization industry? The structured finance industry and the Chamber of Digital Commerce commissioned Deloitte and Touche LLP to examine the application of blockchain and securitization to answer this very question. After months of analysis and multiple consultations with various industry constituents involved in the securitization life cycle, there is little doubt that blockchain and smart contracts, a key technology that enables many blockchain applications, hold such promise. Blockchain will streamline processes, lower costs, increase the speed of transactions, enhance transparency, and fortify security. Let's examine what the future of securitization, the securitization life cycle looks like. And, and then it says blockchain and smart contracts. All loan data placed on the blockchain becomes immutable and it is timestamped with a verifiable audit trail. From the point of origination, there will no longer be a need to consult different data silos for different pieces of relevant underwriting and servicing, uh, creating one true audible, auditable source of data, right? And so, you know, this is, this is you know, a number of years ago. I mean, this is, this is a while back. This is Deloitte. And yet, you know, that crypto skeptic group, they're like, oh, we can't even imagine what the use case is for blockchain. Like there's no use for blockchain. And I'm like, guys, you know, the, 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 the digital chamber of commerce and Deloitte are all saying exactly we're going to use it for securitization purposes. I mean, th it, th what they were doing, it was just like a straight up lie. And it's just really frustrating, like just really deceptive. Um, Okay, so I draw your attention to the language risk management techniques. So we cannot escape history. The legacy of the transatlantic slave trade is very much with us. The management of risk associated with public service debt securitization cannot be delinked from management and control of the poor. The data of black and brown and indigenous people will be stolen from them, taken forcibly in service of global financial interests. This, the abhorrent methods of constraint deployed by brutish masters over centuries are being updated right now in cubicles by coders. The plan is for the bondage to be put on the blockchain in time for the fourth industrial revolution. The system is not yet operational. There is still time to disrupt and change course. And um, yeah, so, yeah, pre-K TARP, right? Toxic assets. What What is that when we have AI trading of uh, privatized debt? Um, you know, and, and this was part of a series that I did about the Harlem Children's Zone and the Robin Hood Foundation uh, with uh, Paul Tudor Jones. I mean, his hedge fund was in Connecticut. Uh, but they actually, like, he worked with an, an organization that had... Uh, metrics this is so this is robin hood uh, metrics for uh, like health metrics earnings metrics for impact commodities for pre-k uh i don't know if you can see that it's 168 pages of equations right i mean and and this is this is like no offense but this is the boring stuff right this is the nuts and bolts of how it works and um you know, it's not out there. It's here. Like if you live anywhere like in the, you know, megalopolis, this is this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with, like the securitization of children. So um, 
I guess I'll just go back to um, the regular camera to, for a closeout. But thank you for, for joining in. Um, you know, does it make sense to you guys? I mean, that trying to like, you know, corral the conversation back to this. Like if we don't understand that the management of people through these policy infrastructures and through program money like isn't brand new. It just it's it's much more intense what's coming. And, um, you know, I think we need to redirect closer to home. So, again, I will just put out an open invitation. Um, we had our first letters from around the labyrinth um, today, and I'd love to feature more. You know, I'm I'm being more constrained in how I do social media. It's really just like my channel and my blog at this point. Um, but, and, and I'm, you know, Cliff is going to be back. So we're going to, we're going to have some more conversations and I'm going to have some more good tips because he's always good at like how to, how to do the navigating of the labyrinth. So we're going to do that, um, also sometime this week when we get settled back in. Um, but th the point of it isn't to assign blame. It's, it's merely to try to have a new, like practice. And I know it's not easy because like I've, you know, I've been triggered by stuff recently too, but to practice looking at it with a certain neutrality and distance without having to make everything wrong, but just to see how the structure lays out. Because that's the understanding of the labyrinth. Like, look where you are. Um, you know, do you have a united way? Do you have a social service system? Like, put in pay for success. Put in collective impact in your community, your state, and see what comes up. I guarantee you, if you're in the United States, it's probably going to be there. Um, it's not far away. And this, this this infrastructure has been put in place since, I mean, at least the, the main, I mean, you know, the health stuff and a lot of the management stuff, the teens and the Rockefellers for sure. But like the Macy conferences and the cybernetics, right? Like um, really since 1946, you know, and, and that was stuff that they refined on those big guns in World War II. And then they want to apply that to steering guns, to steering toddlers. Um, so eventually I'm going to get back to doing a little bit more on, um, with the map and I'll try to figure out how to do the map and see, see at the same time. Um, but anyway, thanks for joining in tonight. I appreciate you. And, uh, I'll be doing some more readings because again, I think, uh, you know, I have a lot of material up there. I have a lot of material and it's just ever more relevant. So, um, and, and I'll, I'll link to in the comments, I'll put uh, uh, Leo's uh, piece that has the stuff about the, the Hong Kong Time Bank. Uh, because yeah, I mean, it's a bit jarring to imagine the Hong Kong Time Bank and the Idaho Libertarians and then uh, the Alice SI and Alice United Way. But I think they're all definitely interconnected. All right, good night, everybody.